Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm John Simon. Today's topic is preparing your expert for deposition. Uh, maybe the best way to introduce this is, you know, this sounds actually somewhat mundane, preparing your expert. Maybe the best way to start this off is to ask, what can go wrong if you don't prepare adequately? Let's, here, let me give you a couple examples. You've got a case that you've been working on for two years, and you spent tons of money on it, and it's a product liability case. Let's say it's a, it's a certain type of car, and it's a roof crush case, a vehicle rolled over, your, your client is paralyzed and you've done all of this wonderful research, and you've got the different articles, different studies, you've got the, what's the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety yeah. ratings, and you've done a great job. You've taken the corporate rep depositions, and here's your expert sitting down, your, your expert who supports every aspect of your claim, and you're 20 minutes into the deposition, and the other attorney asks your expert, what kind of car does your wife drive? And then it's the same car that, you know, that, or better yet, I don't know, better yet, but you've got a case where you're hammering away at the defendant hospital's lack of policies and your expert's given a deposition and you find out 45 minutes in the deposition that the expert doesn't have the same identical policies or, you know, how about another one? You hire an expert just for causation, not for liability, and you present that expert for deposition and you've disclosed them just on causation and guess what? That expert can be asked anything by the other lawyer. It doesn't matter what you've disclosed them about. Everything's fair game. And halfway through the deposition or toward the end of the deposition, your expert gives these wonderful, strong causation opinions. You're delighted with it. You're happy. You're not even taking notes. You're sitting and actually enjoying the, the deposition of your expert. And all of a sudden, the last question is, are you critical of anything defendant doctor did in the case? No, absolutely not. Not critical at all. And so anyway, these are all things that can happen if your expert isn't prepared appropriately. Something can always happen. I don't care how much you prepare. There's always something that can happen that you weren't thinking about. But there are some things that happen often enough that they really never should happen. You should be prepared to address them. And so what we're trying, what we're trying to do in this session is we talked about how things have screwed up or gone bad in our own experts' depositions over the last 20 years, 30 years, whatever. And we tried to pinpoint those things that occur often enough that you should be able to anticipate them and prevent them. Following up on what you said, John, I go over basically everything in the case with an expert, regardless of whether it is specific to what I anticipate them addressing, just to make sure they know every aspect of the case in case they get asked about it. One thing I did years ago here I'd have some of the younger lawyers come in my office and ask me about a particular issue with, in a case with an expert, with an expert's, our own expert's deposition, and should they address this? How do they handle this issue? And almost every time I'd be thinking as they're talking to me about their problem, I'm thinking about 10 other things that could go wrong. And then I start talking to them, did you think about this? Did you do this? Did you ask them about this? No, no. And so finally, I, what I did is I prepared a list of actually a memo internally for the lawyers here 
just a checklist of things to go over. And that's where some of this stuff is coming from. It's I have a generic expert prep thing I've condensed years down that I use to remind myself. Because, you know, we get busy and you might have prepped an expert 200 times and maybe the next time I might forget one of the things I normally cover. So I bring in a checklist with myself. First of all, you don't want to bring your expert's depot is at Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock at your office. So you call the expert and say, hey, could you be here at the 930 yeah. that morning? That's not going to, we know all that. That's just a disaster. That's not going to happen, especially an expert that you've not spent a lot of time with or you haven't worked with before, you haven't sat through one of their depositions. But the other thing, too, the flip side of that is sometimes we get a little bit too relaxed with experts that we've had used and we're happy with and they're prepared all the time. Number one, you need to set aside the proper amount of time to spend with the expert. And I think doing it, just like for prepping your client, I think doing it in multiple stages is a good idea. I try to prep an initial session whether by Zoom or phone or if they're in town in person like the week before. Because what you don't want to find out is, let's say you give yourself two hours before the depot to go over everything, but then you find out they didn't read or like some key depot and there's no time to do it. Yes. So I try to talk to him to go over everything the week before and set aside a couple hours. And then also either the night before or the morning before the depot starts again so that there's that there's that time in between that they can go review anything that maybe they didn't realize was as important as, as it is or it got lost in the transition of us. Yeah, and, and two, two things. Number one is the first time you send them materials, that may have been six months earlier. May have been eight months two years earlier. And as we know, things develop in cases. You've taken depositions. Different documents have been produced, rulings by the court on yeah. things. And so you really need to take the time to, to update them on what materials they should have. And as you were saying, Tim, I think it's important to point out, okay, and here are some, you're going to know what the key documents are. You're going to yeah. know what the key statements are. And I've had cases where I've gotten the corporate rep deposition of the, the corporate rep of the defendant in deposition to admit some of the elements of the case, some of the key elements of the case. And what a, a benefit to hand that off to your expert and say, look, if, you know, Here's what they're saying. They're agreeing with you. This isn't even disputed in the case. It's Tim, to go back to your comment about the checklist, there, there was a book, and I can't remember the author, called The Checklist Manifesto. And it was written by a doctor who started out by talking about pilots who fly their own planes, and they religiously walked down checklists of all the things they need to do. And there's this, I won't call it arrogance, but this overconfidence I've been doing this for a long time. I don't need a checklist. I'm, I can fly on my own, so to speak. So this author was trying to bring checklists into hospitals for operations, and it had some he had some fantastic results. So they, they did quantitative studies. I just know there's a lot of lawyers out there who think I've done this a lot. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I could I wing it. Sit down. Yeah. yeah, wing it. I bring in uh, a checklist for client prep in an auto case. Like every time I prep an expert or client, I bring a checklist in. Absolutely. Every time. Absolutely. Because we're busy. I may forget something. The pressures of being in a hurry, and you just got to slow yourself down. Some of this stuff cannot happen fast. As you mentioned, John, It's you got to take your time. And I think the checklist goes hand in hand with that. Make yourself address each of those points. What if there's 20 good points and you miss one of them, and that's the one yeah. that blows up on that case? I think that's an excellent point. I've made the mistake before early on in my career of not making sure the expert had a firm handle right off the bat of who the parties were and which lawyers represent. Like, that's one of the first things I covered, yes. John. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like just to make sure, okay, these are the two defendants. Here's their respective mm -hmm. roles in it. Here are the lawyers for each one of them who are going to be here asking you questions. This one will go first and this one. Here's their maybe slightly differing interests in trying to get admissions from you about A as opposed to B and the demeanor to expect from that lawyer if I've worked from that. Are they mean? Are they nice? Tim, I think that's a great idea to start out with expert prep is to let your expert know who the parties are, especially who the attorneys are, who they're going to be. Uh, and again, like you said, their demeanor, what and what their what's their angle? What issues are they concerned about? Where are they going to attack you? Yeah, because it's different depending on who the who the. If you got a hospital right. or a doctor, yes. each one might one might yes. be worried about policies and one worried about the details of a right. search. And one issue, for instance, might be very harmful to one of the defendants, but very helpful to the other defendant. Yeah, and they need to know that going in. So not only do they need to know who the parties are, who the attorneys are, but the next thing I think is it's as important is the general theories of liability and defenses. In other words, yeah. what is the case about? What are we trying to say? What do we need to prove? What are the elements? What are the elements of our case under the law? And then what are their defenses? What are, their trying, what are they trying to say? And what evidence are they leaning on or relying on to, to do that? The trouble we get in a lot of times with experts is, one, we have multiple experts for almost every case. And that's because there are different issues. There's a liability issue, there's a design issue, there's a testing issue, there's a causation issue, there's a damage issue. A lot of your experts are very narrowly focused. They're only one issue, like we were talking about in the beginning. You got them to, you know, to address causation and they're just killer on it and they're doing going to do a great job. But you got to let them know what the other theories are in the case, what your claims are against the other defendants. They may not that they may not even be testifying against because, yeah, I mean, you, what are you going to do in the middle of a deposition? You can say they've not been designated to address that issue, but they still get the, they still I, have to answer I, it. Other lawyers say that to me all the time. And I go, that's great. I've counter designated all of your experts as my experts to the extent their testimony is admissible. And I'm going to ask them about yeah. it. And it's fair game for right. the other side to do the same. So thing. we can number these. So number one, identify the parties and their lawyers. And then number two, your expert, even though they're limited, they need to know the lay of the land, all the theories of liability against each of the parties, what the defenses are. Uh, if they're a causation expert, they need to understand that you're saying that this doctor was negligent for doing such and such. Yeah. You right. should hopefully know by this point whether your experts, what their actual opinions are, and they've told you before if they agree an, with An them. expert can be asked literally anything, yeah. and I think they're going to answer it. So you either need to have them prepared to say, if you're asked anything about liability, you can flat out say, I have no opinions on that. Or I've had experts who were based on the prepping, when they ask, I'll tell them in the beginning, this expert's not giving any standard of care opinion. I do that. Causation. I do it right off the bat. But I have the expert prepared to hammer them if they want to get into yeah, it. And say, say, I wasn't going to give those opinions, but if you want it, exactly. happy to give and, them. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, they don't the end of it. Yep. I have them. If you want to hear them, I'll let you know. There's a lot of experts who are, like you say, honed on the point that they were working on. But their assumption is, I'm ready to go. Let's start the deposition. Yeah. And you got to slow it all down because there's unknown unknowns. They don't know about these other things that could crop up quite often, even if they're like fantastic on the, on the one point they've covered. Yeah. And even make sure they know these other points and why they're important so that if they understand the importance and it really isn't something that's within their wheelhouse, they're prepared to say, I'm not addressing that, and that's not really within my specialty, so that they know what's going on if they're being asked about it. As part of two, general theories of liability and defenses, it, as part of that, I go into a, like a, not just a basic timeline, 
a detailed timeline of the key facts um, as it relates to those general theories of liability and defenses and key documents. Once we've talked about the, what your key theories are, what the elements are, what their main defenses are, that is when I also go into detail and I, I write it down in a big memo usually or on a notepad. From the beginning, my client had an operation on this state. It was for this condition. This is what happened. Here's the, the radiologist's report and what it says and cover why that's important. If there's factual disputes, what each side's basis for that factual dispute is because the expert's going to be asked about it. So as part of that general theories of liability and defenses, I do a kind of a big section depending on what the case is about with all the basic facts. That I are think that's, that's, that's a great idea, especially with cases that are more complex, a lot of moving parts. Prepare a list of materials that you provided to the expert. How many times in a deposition? I can tell you it happens about, it probably happens in every other deposition that I'm in. They say they didn't or, get something they yes, got. Yes, exactly. The expert will say, I, I don't remember receiving that, or I didn't know if I received that. And then all of a sudden it's about you. Wait a minute, the lawyer didn't give you this document? You know what, man, right. Mr. Simon didn't give you. And what I do is I prepare that list before, well before the depot prep, a list of the materials that they're supposed to have and that way it's on the table. If I, I produce it with the experts' materials. That's what I do. Here, here's the case materials that they received, and then here's any additional materials. Like notes. And yes, right. exactly, exactly, because you don't want to have any argument. That is something that is completely preventable. It's a self-inflicted wound. Having somebody infer or argue that you're hiding something or you didn't give the expert something, and believe me, even if it's not important, it's going to be the most important document in the world when that case is tried if you didn't give it to your, your expert. And then in addition to that, different states have different disclosure requirements about what you have to give the other side. Pretty much all of them, whether you're in state or federal court, you have to provide the other side witness-generated materials. So that's number four. It's related to number three. But if your expert has notes, you have to give them to the other side. In federal court, you don't have to give drafts of reports. But So what do you guys think about this? Some attorneys will not hide, but just not produce stuff, and they'll put their expert forward, and you're asking about, and you've asked for file materials, you don't get them. Yeah. And, then, and to me, it's just an unnecessary distraction. In my opinion, you're better off organizing the materials that your expert generated, organizing a list of materials that the other side already has that they've been given, and I just lay them out at the... I give them the day know, before. Yes, exactly. Just give them to them or have them... Every one of my cases, I reach an agreement, and both sides are always happy to have it, that we will provide each other's experts' materials 24 hours before the depot. It makes the depot go smoother, and it's up front, and I, I give them everything. No reason not to. They're going to get it. And the other thing, too, it, it helps the witness. It helps your expert get them organized. Correct. It's okay. Here's all the stuff that you've been given. Here's the stuff you brought to the file. And then we, a lot of times too, what I'll do is I'll pre-market. I'll mark it as a, as an yeah. exhibit to make it even easier. So everybody's not, so this is your file and you've seen it too, where an expert will come in and it's usually on the, with the other side and they'll have stuff on the computer and they'll have folders and files and they're duplicates and triplicates of this and they've got things three or four different times and taking breaks to figure exactly it out. exactly and it just it's uh, I'll tell you this too one of the most sinking feelings I, that I think you can have related to producing your own expert is finding out your expert has his own generated materials or research that you didn't like notes or research that you didn't know he has and he didn't share with you, and you don't know what they say, 
and then you're getting them printed off and handing them to the other lawyer before you've had a chance to see what their notes say or if they have articles they printed off. This needs to be close to the top of your list when you're prepping your expert to make sure you know if any such materials exist, notes, articles they printed, and so you have time to read them too. So next, and I think this is, I'm sitting here smiling when we're talking about these because for every one of these, I've had a case where this has come back to, to bite me. Yeah. And the next one is explain the standard for expert qualifications, okay? And tell your expert, under the law in whatever state you're in, here's what you need to show that you're an expert in whatever area it is. And I say that because I've seen so many good lawyers get witnesses to unqualify themselves, otherwise qualified experts, merely by voice inflection. Are you saying that you're an expert in this? Well, we do yeah. it all the time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I had one case comes to mind where it was a recalled vehicle. It was an ATV that was recalled. There was a stuck throttle in the case, and they recalled it. In our case, the, the throttle struck, stuck, bad accident, drove into a tree, serious injuries, and I took the corporate rep deposition, and in that corporate rep deposition, they admitted it was defective. They admitted that it shouldn't have been sold. They admitted everything under the sun you could imagine, and yet I had, I had an expert to give a deposition in the case, and the other lawyer spent about 15 or 20 minutes, and the facts of the case were the throttle struck, stuck at about 30 miles an hour, couldn't stop or slow down, and drove into a tree. The police report said, stuck throttle. And this was all before we, we even knew that it was recalled. And we find out that this model was recalled or should have been recalled and noticed that my folks didn't get noticed because of a stuck throttle problem. Every kind of admission you could imagine we got from the defendant in the case. And then my expert is and was provided with all these materials. And a lawyer on the other side, again, spent a long time about accident reconstruction. You can do accident reconstruction. You've done accident reconstruction before. How many times have you done it before? You've done it for Mr. Simon before, okay? And you know how to do it. You're an expert at it. You're an accident reconstruction. Right. And no, no, it wasn't even that tough. It was, and you didn't do one in this case. That's devastating. You didn't do one in this case. And we didn't need to do one in the case because it wasn't disputed. The throttle stuck and he drove, couldn't stop it and drove into a tree. But nonetheless, he went on about, and I could see my expert getting a little bit nervous and fidgeting a little bit and feeling like they weren't qualified. To, and then finally he gets to the last question or two and he says, so obviously if you haven't done a, an accident reconstruction, there's no way you can give any causation testimony in this case. Is that correct? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I was like, did you read the corporate rep? But again, it's uh, I blame that on me because I should have been a little bit more straightforward in the prep, okay? Here's the deal. Here's the If I had to do it again, I'd have that depot right in front of my expert. I'd have it tabbed, the pages, highlighted, whatever. With a summary of the 10 key points about what happened in the accident that's been agreed to on top of it so the expert can go, it's my understanding. Yes. I read this depot. These are all, yeah. I'm accepting these are true because they were. Uh, it, are, are you saying this and this? Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. I tell the Ghostbuster story. Have you heard the Ghostbuster story, Tim? I don't remember. Have you heard it? I don't do this anymore, I don't think. But at one point in my career, I'd have experts, especially new experts, who were well qualified. There's no question they're qualified. They're qualified under the law. If they're not, it's up to the judge to say they're not qualified. I think I had a bad experience with an expert unqualifying themselves, okay? 
because of how they the, 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 how the questions were phrased and how they were asked. And so I, I tell them told them the story of the Ghostbusters movie where they're up on the roof of the building. Do you remember? Do you guys have you seen Ghostbusters? Yeah. And they the whatever entity is on top of the building with them says, "Are you a god?" And they go, "No." And they're blasted off of the building. <laughs> and I think it was Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray were down on the ground. And after they got blasted off the building, and Dan, Bill Murray tells Dan Aykroyd, I think, says, the next time you're asked if you're a god, the answer is yes. <laughs> Again, I get the expert laughing a little bit. but And I said the whole point of that story is don't unqualify yourself. Okay, You're here because you're qualified. We know you're qualified. You weren't qualified right. to talk about this. I wish you would have told me before right. I paid yeah. you all of this yeah. money. And it's because they don't have a an understanding of what that means. In in Missouri, it means you know a little bit more about the topic than the average juror, and your right. your opinion could assist them with deciding some of the issues in the case. We handle a lot of opioid cases, and not to get into the specifics of anyone in particular, but I can remember one case where we had a defense expert who was brought in to dispute liability and whether it caused an addiction and like maybe the third question in the depot that I don't remember if I took the depot or Johnny or you but was are you an opioid expert are you holding yourself out as as an opioid an expert in prescribing opioids and the doctor said no by god no and it it was like should I stop the depot (laughs) Yeah, but it's again, it's and that's not the expert's fault, in my opinion. That's, no, you got to that's you got to be able to explain what does it mean to be qualified as an expert, what you are an expert in, and what you're not. And it's an issue that you don't get a certificate that you have to frame and hang on the wall saying I'm an opioid expert. It's just your general background and training. And I think witnesses, you need to build their confidence by laying this groundwork with them. Some experts are easily intimidated. Some experts are just nice and they want to get along with everybody. Somebody asks them a question and you guys know that where they're just nodding their head. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And they, they say they're answering your questions and on cross-examination, they're nodding their head and agreeing with everything the other side's saying. Well, humility so, is a good thing for a scientist and someone who says, if I get a new question I haven't thought about, mm-hmm. new facts I haven't considered, I really should be flexible and think about it and I might need to express doubts. And I think the best approach to this is to say, absolutely. But the time to do that is before the deposition. If you need more information, if you need to think something through, but when the time we get you to the deposition, we need you to have done all that work. And right. you, you need know, anything else. Yeah, no. before you get Ready there. to roll. Okay. And so when right. you're there, what we need you to do is to be firm and as far as what you believe and why. You don't want to tell them, don't change your mind in the middle of a deposition because you're also they're under an oath to tell the truth. But they can do that work before they get there. I'll do that is to build up their confidence is I'll talk about everything we've done. I'll say, look at everything that you've done in this case. All these materials that you reviewed, you've looked at this, you've done this. Is there anything else you need to do to, to, to support you, to give the opinion you're giving? No. So you're ready to roll on that. Okay. And then I'll talk to them about their background. I'll tell the expert. I'll say, look, you, you your background is this. It might be some cardiology issue or whatever. You are... 10 times more qualified than anybody in this room is ever going to be, 100 times more qualified. You are the expert. This is your area, and you've looked at everything you needed to look at. You've done everything you need to do, and this is your opinion. And, you know, they defend can— Defend it. Right, defend it. They be Defend it, be confident. They can give you hypotheticals. They can ask you to assume things. You need to be able to hold your ground. You know, that that's—I that, I, 
I hear you, but that's not what happened in this case, okay? And like you said, Eric, you want them to be forthcoming. You don't want them to be arrogant either and non-professional, not respectful. But you just I talked to them about all the time that we've spent and the energy and the effort. When we hired you, we asked you what you needed, and we got it for you, okay? We got everything that you need. And uh, no, you really need to go over that with them so that if they're not, if they're not solid in their opinions, find out why. But like you said, the morning of the depot is not the time to be <laughs> exploring these things. What about the legal standards? Okay, go over relevant legal standards. And I'm talking about the definition, say, for instance, of standard of care, uh, the definition of the legal standard for causation, the elements of yeah. your claim, things like that. Yeah, I think uh, certainly in MedMal, you have to do that. I think it's a good idea in any type of case to go over the standard for liability and legal definitions for causation. In medical malpractice, there's a particular definition in just about every state, as there is in Missouri. And if the expert does not say, when I give opinions about standard of care and negligence, the failure to use that degree of skill and learning ordinarily used under the same or similar circumstances by members of the defendant's profession, if you don't go over that with them, one of the first questions I ask standard of care experts of the other side is, uh, have you ever heard the term standard of care? Some of them say, I don't know what that means. That's not a term we use. I don't talk in those terms. And that's not good for them. But if they say, yeah, I say, what does that mean for you? And almost every time they give a definition that is not the definition. And they may say something that's like, like it's got to be criminal or it's what I would personally think. So I sure make sure I explain to my expert what the standard is. And a lot of times I'll have them write it down. You know what I, I have do? Notes I, and I bring get, it in. I get a copy. I type it out or take it from the jury instruction book, Yeah. the MAI, and I will have that in their file. You know, if it's somebody who is new to this. Yeah. But uh, it can't hurt. It just really can't hurt to know what the, you have to know what the standard. Could you imagine going through an entire deposition, having your expert give all the opinions and what they base it on and the reason, the rationale, and then at the end having them be asked, are you able to say this to a reasonable degree of medical certainty? I'm not sure. And that's the causation right. standard right. in similar language in almost every state. And then, so I cover that, that to give reasonable degree of medical certainty or reasonable degree of certainty within your field and profession and explain that doesn't mean 100% certainty. It really under the law means more likely than not, but that's you're reasonably certain more likely than not in your field. So I think you should cover that with with your expert every time. And you can understand how this can happen because you can be a really fantastic doctor without knowing any of this. You don't know these words. These so you are, have to explain it in law world. Right. We talk about these things in this way. And then it's, it's an education and they can make the translation and come in knowledgeable about, oh, you lawyers, you talk about it in these ways. So I'll Cause, explain it. Because we have to. You're right. So the next item on the list, on my list, is remember key dates. And by, by key dates, we're not talking about key dates in your case, but key dates involving your interaction with the expert. For instance, how many depots have you guys been in where the your expert wasn't asked these questions? When were you first contacted? When did you get materials? When did you formulate your opinion? But those questions are asked. Have you had a deposition, Tim? I cannot remember one where those weren't asked, and I can't remember one that I took that I didn't ask them. Yeah, and I, I think and so. You can get sideways on this stuff. Right. So these questions, when were you first contacted? What materials did you receive? And when was your opinion formulated? And you got to know the date of disclosure, too. And not just make sure the expert is prepared with that. I, this, I would say this is important for you to keep in mind when you're actually doing these things. Because if these dates get out of order, and I'll explain what I mean, it can be devastating. For example, you... 
don't think far enough in advance that you need a, realize you need a particular type of expert. You realize it close to the disclosure date, but you're able to get the expert on board and disclose them, but they don't have the materials yet, but you get them the materials so they're prepped by the time of the depot. I've had a defense expert that I took, and it, this wasn't covered in the depot, but I did it at trial, and well, we lost the case. But it actually looked real bad for this expert where I was able to figure out with him that they disclosed the expert before they ever and said that he was giving opinions supporting them in causation before they had ever sent him a piece of paper. Yeah, and I've had a case in the past where we did send the materials to the expert early on. And the then he expert, it up right, the exactly. The expert did not make a, a didn't document that. Yeah. We have the first time we talked to him when we send him the materials, and then there's a disclosure, and there's no record of that. And so there you go in the deposition where all you're going to hear about is, wait a minute, you gave Mr. Simon this opinion even before he sent you anything. And I'm going, oh, we and, did send We did send and it And then to you, you pair that with, and Mr. Simon has hired you 10 times before? And yes. Look, just, and those are things, it's self-inflicted and it's 100% preventable. Keep good records. When you first contacted the expert, what materials you sent and when, and it's not just you keeping track of this because you're not the one answering questions. You need to go over these with your expert before the deposition. There's that quote attributed to Einstein, don't memorize things you can write down. And it's like you say, John, this is so preventable. I always have a chronology in cases. Day of the accident, all the critical dates, date the case was filed. I keep that handy because I don't want to be constantly remembering that kind of stuff. And this is just a subset of those important events. This stuff, this isn't rocket science, as they say. This is just organizational skills documenting things, writing them down, taking enough time to so you're not rushing into something. Next next item on the list, confirm opinions are final. And we touched on this a little bit before. Again, one of you heard this. This is how this is going to play out at your deposition or your expert's deposition. You got a, a lawyer on the other side and they're going to say, is there anything else that you think you could do? Might you might want to be helpful. Yeah, might want to see it could be helpful. Low could threshold. Sure, there's other things. Let's go through. What other things do you think you might, could have, maybe want to see about this and this? And they'll give a list of 10 different things that we'd like to drive around the world or go to the moon or something. Maybe we get a better view of this or whatever. Maybe we could spend another 80 hours on it. But be careful with that because you know where that's going. So you wanted to do this and you weren't able to do this and you weren't provided with this. You got to cover that with your expert before the deposition. Your information is provided yeah. is more than sufficient to give the opinions I'm giving, but you also don't want them to say, I would refuse to look at anything else. I'd be happy to look at whatever you got. I'd be happy to look at it. Okay. Yeah. If you got some additional information, I would be happy to look at it, but you don't need more information. Okay. And I, maybe they do. If they do, guess what? Cancel the deposition, get them whatever they need and re, re, reschedule it. This is not something that you want to have happen for the first time in the deposition. Okay confirm with your expert, just like we were talking before, opinions are final. And it's not going to be a direct, are your opinions final? A good lawyer is going to lead them into it in a very, in a way that they're not, they don't even know where they're being led. This is reminding me of that question that often pops up. Is it possible that there's other facts? Is it possible there's other tests? And that's, again, you do the worrying before you ever get to the deposition. But then what, you probably have had that happen, right? Where they go, there might be other tests, there might be other facts, there might right. be, could be. And then, like you say, there's this balance. A good, honest-looking expert will go, there might be, but we thought of everything we can, and there's nothing right. else out there. And it also fits nicely into what the standard is, too. We're not talking about 100%. The opinion is based upon 
it might be more likely than not, a reasonable degree of medical certainty or engineering certainty. The next item on the list is confirm the witness's opinions are their own. And they'll get asked in the deposition, did you receive any influence, any input from the lawyers? Did they ask you what they needed? You know, that kind of stuff. And I flat out do that. I talk to the expert in the beginning. I remind them before the deposition. I remind them in the time between. We didn't ask you to go one way or another. We asked you what your opinion is. We gave you time to develop it. You got all the information. If they ask you, are, are these are my, I'll tell them, these are, are these my opinion? These are your opinions. That's why we retained you in the case. But anyway, you got to keep that in mind during your conversations with the expert. Yeah, I ask every, just about every lawyer I know asks the expert, tell me all about your first conversation you had with the lawyer when they hired you and every conversation. And if it's an inexperienced expert, it's not outside the realm of possibility that if you ask, okay, well, on the first phone call, did they tell you what opinions they were hoping you could give? That they might say, yeah, they said they were hoping I could give an opinion that X, Y, and Z wasn't caused by A. And so you want to make sure you cover with your expert. I just want to be clear. I asked you to investigate this and give me your opinion, whatever it was, and these are your and, opinions. And, part of that, and that's not just pre the two days before the deposition. you got to lay the groundwork for that when you hire them. Yes. And nobody's ever in this case going to tell you, and it's great. It builds great rapport with your expert. We're relying on you. Nobody's going to tell you what your opinion needs to be. And uh, by the way, as a corollary to this, you don't, I would never ask anyone to lie. So don't, in your first phone call with your expert, tell them what opinions you want them to get. Yeah, right. And there are differences between telling someone what to say and disclosing what the issues are in the case or what questions you need to research. Yeah. And or, so you or even be careful with our words. Fled. That's different than what expert opinions someone, a lot, they get a copy of the complaint, right? In the additional initial materials. We're going to take a break here. This has been part one of preparing your expert for deposition. I'm Eric Beath. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm John Simon. We'll see you next time. The Jury is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And subscribe today, because the best lawyers never stop learning.